All right, here we go. Now I'm good. All right, hey, welcome to RUF. I'm, I'm present now. Um, my name is Jonathan. I am the campus minister here in RUF. Um, it's, yeah, I want to, I know most of you, I want to, if I haven't met you, I want to meet you. Uh, I'd love, yeah, I'm glad you're here. Um, however you're here, I'm glad. Um, if this is your first time, we're really glad you're here. Thanks for coming and checking us out. We know that Thursday night is a night for studying for a lot of you. And um, that, yeah, you, you know, you're giving up something to be here. So thanks for doing that. Um, so we're a Christian group. We are here to uh, meet some of the felt needs and some of the unfelt needs of, of college students at New Mexico State. Uh, and so one of the really felt needs, sometimes felt needs, one of the unfelt needs, I don't know, you're like, what are these felt, unfelt? One of them, I think, is uh, to connect with the God who created us. We think that's really important. Um, some people really feel the need for that. Some people are like, I have no need for that. Well, that I would call is an unfelt need. You don't feel it, but you need it. Um, and so tonight, one of the ways we do that is uh, we sing. Um, the worship team was killing it tonight, so thanks to y'all for doing that. Um, but also, we study some of the Bible. Um, and so that's what we're going to do now is we will open up a piece of God's word and we will study it and I'll make some comments on it. If you have questions as I'm speaking, your, my phone number is on your, uh, on your piece of paper. Feel free to shoot me a text and I will respond. I'm not going to answer them, but I will respond uh, anonymously. So I'm not going to be like, hey, Jason, there's no Jasons here, I don't think, said so-and-so. So, um, yeah. Hey, if you enjoy large group, um, great. I'm really glad. And I would challenge you, if you're finding time, the time here is helpful or good for you, I would encourage you to like, hey, invite a friend, not out of compulsion, not out of like, Jesus will love me more, but like, hey, this has been good for me, come with me. And if they're like, not my gig, they come, cool, no harm, no foul. But if they are, that's great. Um, and if, if uh, you know, second, I'll say RUF is not the perfect community. If there's parts of tonight or parts of our community that are off-putting or maybe I'll say distancing to you, I would love to hear what you're thinking and we, we can process that and talk about it. Um, so talk to me, talk to Rachel. I'll plug fall conference one more time. Like Rachel said, we're going to hit week six, week seven, and fall conference, we want it to be a time for relaxing and recreation for you. This is not like Bible, 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 Bible. It's like, yeah, we're going to spend time in the Word of God, but we also want lots of time for you to do sports, to go for nature hikes, to sleep. So um, definitely take advantage of that and register tonight. Um, all right, so enough of that. We are going to press on with our study tonight in the book of Matthew. We are studying um, the book of Matthew, and I'm trying to every week ask, what is the heart of the king? Jesus is presumably the king of the universe, the king of the Bible, at least how uh, Matthew portrays him. And so we are going to look at, again, Matthew's tonight and ask, try to answer the question, in, what is Jesus' disposition what is his heart towards you, towards me, in all the different places that we are coming from tonight into this space? And tonight we're going to look at what is probably one of the more famous passages in Matthew, um, a piece of scripture called the Beatitudes. Some of y'all know what that word means, some of you don't, that's okay, we'll look at it. Um, and there's so much that can be said about these, I could probably say uh, a one message on each one of these, and so we're going to... Um, Give like a 30,000 foot picture and, uh, and, and, and then we'll dialogue with it. So again, text your questions if you want as I'm talking and we'll dialogue with those. So uh, look on your paper. This is, uh, I'll read this and then we'll look at it. So this is God's word. Seeing the crowds, he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me pray real quick. Lord in heaven, as we uh, come in tonight from so many different places, uh, anxiety, peace, grief, joy, confusion, maybe fear, um, we come to the same God, who, and you, you meet us here. And so I pray as we open your word, um, we've prepared our hearts in the singing as we study it now, that you would speak through your servant and uh, minister to these students here. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So tonight, normally I try to have like a series of points that I'm trying to break through, and honestly, I could not figure out how to do that with this passage. <laughs> I studied this a lot this week, and so what we're going to do tonight is we're just going to work through this piece of the Bible, kind of blow by blow, verse by verse, and then try to zoom out and see what does it say? What does it say, and why does it matter? Again, always asking question, why does it matter to your and my life? And uh, so let's dive in at verse 1. What does verse 1 say? He says, Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain and sat down, and his disciples came to him. So this is the first time in the book of Matthew that the person, Jesus Christ, actually starts talking. Up until this point, he's been sort of on the receiving end of a lot of things. And so now we finally get to see Jesus start speaking. And, and, and it's interesting because notice in the very beginning, before he even starts talking, what does he do? His followers or his disciples, the people that the Bible calls the disciples or his followers, come to him. And just earlier, it's not on your paper, Jesus has called his first disciples. And if you know from your, your, your Bibles that he goes up to some men named Peter, James, and John, and, he, and he, they're fishermen. And he says, hey, follow me. And they follow him. And then those are the first people who the Bible calls are his disciples. And not just that, uh, he also brings crowds. And and earlier, just before this, he had been starting to heal. And he'd been starting to teach the crowds and creating a space for people to come and learn from him. And so he gathers both his closest followers, that is his disciples, and a crowd together. And he starts teaching them. And it's really interesting that what Jesus says. Look at what, think about, think about this. Think about what Jesus is not saying here. This is Jesus' first opportunity, both as his first close followers and people who have really no exposure to him. For the first time, he starts talking. And notice what he does not do. First, Jesus does not whip up a crowd into a political pep rally. Isn't it interesting? You would think like, oh man, Jesus, he's starting to get some momentum. He's going to start a social movement. He's going to connect himself to a political party and try and, you know, basically whip the vote for something. He does not start laying down a list of commandments and saying, okay, if you're going to follow me, here's what's expected. I hope you can start to measure up. He does not give a massive theology lecture. He doesn't come in and say, hey, let me, y'all need some schooling. I'm going to teach you all some theology. I hope you can keep up. Take good notes. There's going to be a test at the end of this. He does not, he, he could have done all those things. No, Jesus' first words 
are pronouncements of blessing, of comfort, peace, and compassion. Isn't that interesting? The first words that Jesus Christ says in his first major speaking, teaching moment are words of blessing, peace, compassion, and comfort. Think, think, about, it, think about that. If you're a lifelong Christian in this room, or you're an explorer, you don't know where you land religiously or, or in your faith, we're all bringing in, I will say, freighted expectations of Jesus. I say the name Jesus, and I bet you begin to connect words like, associate words like doctrine, or rules, or politics, or demands, or lectures. And Jesus' first words are none of those things. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that interesting? Jesus' first words are full of compassion, peace, vindication, and happiness. Happiness. That's what the word blessed means that we read over and over again. He he says blessed. I want to pause on that word. That word is actually remarkably difficult to translate from the Greek. It's a really, really challenging word to get at what it means in English. Um, Because, and and when we hear the word blessed, we we connotate it with some sort of like theological, blessed, blessed is he. And, And that's what we think of when we hear the word blessed. But the best way for us to get at the word blessed is happy. Blessed means happy. It means to be emotionally content, to be satisfied. But even, but even happy doesn't get at it, because happy for us is such a subjective and easily vanishing emotion, feeling that we can have. Like You can have a happy day that's starting off right, but it can be erased by the littlest things, like a red light at the wrong time or a spilled cup of coffee, and you're like, ah, not happy anymore. Or happiness can be absolutely decimated long-term by big things like a cancer diagnosis or a car crash. Blessedness here is happiness, but it's a permanent, unchangeable state of contentment because of God's favor. That's what, that's what, that's what Jesus is getting at here when he says, blessed are so-and-so. It's like blessed is like when your professors... It's like when, you're prof- when you are your professor's favorite student, and even when, though you might miss an assignment, they still like you. You're in a state of, of favor with the professor, and, and, the, and they like you. Jesus is pronouncing a state of consistent emotional happiness and enduring favor on his followers. And this is really important, I think, for us today, because in the lives that we live today, I think that all of us are trying to, to piece together that blessedness, right? I mean, that's, that's what college is about, y'all. Why did you come to college? Because you were looking for some kind of end goal of blessedness, of happiness, of contentment. Like, every one of you came to college with a hope and an expectation and a goal of using college as like the launch pad to get your definition of blessedness, whatever it is for you. Like, grades, jobs, romance or sex, like, all of those things we're using college to, to maybe get that, that blessedness, favor and contentment and happiness. Some of us get blessedness from the euphoria that comes from drinking a lot. Some of us get blessedness from the superiority of judging those who drink a lot and from our not drinking a lot. So here's two different expectations of blessedness, but we're all bringing that into college and saying, I, am, I want to feel blessedness in my life. Some of you, it's like, I got to make a lot of money. That's, if I make a lot of money, I will be content, happy forever. Some of you are like, eh, money is for the capitalist pigs. I want to make a difference in this world. 
Some of you say, I want to make, I want to make a name for myself. Some of you are like, I just don't want my family to be in poverty anymore. But each one of us is coming to school with a hope and a desire and an expectation of this blessedness, this, this long-term sustainable contentment and happiness. And that's not a bad thing. There's a legit, legitimate need to be blessed in our world, in our lives. But Jesus tonight says that the only way to be blessed is to follow him. Is to follow, he calls his followers together and said, blessed are those. And then he, he lays it out. And so let's look at what he says here. Let's look at verse three, verses 3 through 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, what's going on in these verses? Well, in these verses, Jesus is saying, is pronouncing a blessedness, a state of blessedness on the needy. Look what he says, the poor in spirit. And this is a catch-all phrase that sort of includes everybody who is, well, first of all, the word poor. That word poor in the Greek, it means those who literally are destitute, impoverished, have no money. So there is a social you know, social element to this. It's a catch-all phrase to mean those who uh, are at the, the, the financial and societal underdogs. So he says, blessed are the people who are at the bottom end of society. But then notice he also says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those who are not just poor financially, but those who are also poor in a way that they're emotionally, mentally, spiritually unwell. Those of us who, are, uh, who, who, who feel depression, who feel anxiety. Jesus is pronouncing blessedness, blessing on any of his followers who lack first like the necessities of life, of food and money, friends, mental and emotional health. But then he also says, blessedness are those of us who, who just aren't doing well, who are struggling in life. And look what he says. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean here? The kingdom of, the he- of heaven throughout the book of Matthew, and we'll, we'll look at this as we go throughout Matthew, so keep coming back. The kingdom of heaven is the place, is the, 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 the light on, of God's kingdom uh, where Jesus' perfect rule means that there's no scarcity, no poverty, no social failure, and only a land of peace, joy, compassion, love, charity, and happiness. No loneliness, no depression, no poverty, no spiritual need in the kingdom of God. He says, blessed, in the, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. The reality is, is that we all have things that we mourn about. Some of us are more aware of it than others. I, was, I just saw a tweet today that said, look, if you're not mourning in, in 2020, 2021, you're just not paying attention to your life. There's so much happening in our world, in our lives, that's just plain sad. I've talked with well, now three students this week who have had a close family member pass away in the last few months. They're sad. They're mourning. And my own mother is really sick. And it's beyond just the sadness of, of her possible death, of others' death. There's just the mourning of anything that makes us sad, of the emotional... T- I mean, really, he means anything that makes us feel sad. And there's so much that can bring us in here tonight that we're sad about a failed relationship, a breakup. That was the most sad thing I've ever had to go through is when I went through a brutal breakup in college. A bombed test. Man, I, this test, I needed this test to go well. It didn't go well. I'm sad about it. 
depression or anxiety, I know that there's probably this number of you, one half of you, are, are feeling deep emotional and mental spiritual unrest. And you're sad. You're sad tonight. And if you're a follower, you're a disciple, that means you in your mourning, what does it say? It says, Jesus, it says, blessed are you who mourn for you shall be comforted, for they shall be comforted. The meek, the meek, it says here, are the people who are not aggressive. Our world values aggressive, hard-charging people who get things done. Either the macho man who just says, he walks into the room and says, you're not that guy, pal. You're not that guy. (laughs) Or our world values the feminist who just goes in and just crushes the patriarchy and gets things done. That's, That's what our world values today. Jesus pronounces contentment, happiness, blessing on unaggressive Wallflower people, the people who are shy and socially awkward. What does he say? He says they shall inherit the earth. The people who don't get recognition probably get the short end. He says, no, those are the people who in my kingdom are going to get all the earth. They're going to inherit the earth. So overall in verses 3 through 5, what does it say? It shows us that in our sadness, in our deepest needs, that when we are Jesus' followers, we are in his capable and good hands. And he works good for us. That those who are at their emotional and spiritual and societal wits end, Jesus pronounces peace and a level of contentment and happiness. In Jesus' economy, the least worthy in the world get the most blessing. That's how Jesus works. That's the heart of Jesus towards his followers. Society's most marginalized, most politically and economically destitute the, the, the least healthy emotionally, socially, spiritually, those are the people who Jesus says, I am most interested in caring for. I just finished a book recently on black Christianity, and the author talks about the black African-American experience in America and society. And he talks about how African slaves and black African-Americans in Jim Crow and civil rights era, they always, rather than seeing Christianity as like the white man's religion, by and large, black Christians see Christianity as a promise for a, a vindication and deliverance from the oppression because of things like the Beatitudes. The, the, the black Christian church has by and large looked at Christianity and said our only hope in a society and in a time where there's grief and sadness and mourning is in following Jesus. Because in him we find the blessedness in this life and the next that we need that society has let us down for. And that Christianity, there's a reason why around the world Christianity has historically and globally been the religion of the poor, the enslaved, and the marginalized. There's a reason why when people are at their worst, they say, I think I need God in my life. Because God is one who comes to us in our most brokenness and says, blessed are you who are at your worst. I'm in the business of fixing people like you. People who realize that they are helpless without God's help. Who cannot live without God's blessing. This is the spiritually impoverished who have bottomed out in your life. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're coming in tonight, Christian, non-Christian, and you're just saying, I can't do this anymore. I've been trying to find blessedness, contentment, and happiness on my own, and it has not worked. Friend, let me tell you that in following Jesus, the blessedness that you are looking for is found in spades, and it's sweet. Blessed are those who feel their failures, for in them they find Jesus, he loves them. 
So let's, let's press on, verses 6 through 12. I'm not going to read them for the sake of time, but, but we'll, look at, we'll, look at, we'll look at them uh, in turn. So verses 6 through 12. Here, Jesus pronounces blessedness or happiness on the, the disciples who seek to follow him, his virtuous disciples. Look at the list. Those who hunger for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, peacemakers, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Who are these people? Well, these are the followers of Jesus. These are the followers of Jesus who seek to obey and submit and follow Jesus in their day-to-day lives. And maybe, maybe life works out for them. Maybe it doesn't. But what Jesus is saying here is that those who seek to follow Jesus, Jesus walks with and blesses. In Matthew's gospel, the word righteousness, it means ethical obedience to God's standards. And Matthew shows us over and over again that only Jesus can make this standard. Like only Jesus is perfectly and completely righteous. Um, but, but he also says that Jesus calls you and I as followers of Jesus to, to live up to his, to aspire to Jesus' standards. So think of it this way. Think if you've got a math professor who is just absolutely incredible at math. She's the best professor in math that you can imagine. And uh, she's better at math than you and I ever will be. But when we take a math class, we aspire to be as good at math like her. We don't, we don't, we're not just like, eh, I don't care. No, we want to be on her level. We probably never will, but we want to know math like she does. In the same way, only Jesus is righteous. Only Jesus is one who follows God, perf- his Father perfectly. But we as his followers, we as his, his, his disciples, we should hunger and thirst for righteousness. We should long to be merciful and pure in heart, just as Jesus was. And what does Jesus promise when we apply our, put our hands to the plow and seek to follow Christ? He says, you should be satisfied. When you hunger for righteousness, he says, you will be satisfied. Our desire for holiness, for obedience, God honors that. Blessed are the pure in heart means those who seek to love and honor God with sincerity, with an undivided attention. What does this mean? It means that Jesus cares for his servant people, that when we serve others, when we live lives of compassion and peace and love and mercy before others, Jesus follows us with his own compassion, peace, love, and mercy. And so there's a challenge here for those of us who are followers of Jesus to renew our pursuit of following Jesus, to, to, to go at it again and say, man, I didn't, I didn't do so good this week. But Jesus would say, hey, happy, content, blessed are you when you throw yourself at it again. Try again. Let's go at life again, pursuing and to, to, to live to Jesus. The point here is that we should be the kind of people who are pursuing increased righteousness like Jesus in our Christian life, a desire for peace in our relationships with our family, with our roommates, with our friends. A desire for purity in our deepest core, not twisted by like lust and greed and compulsions. Do you see that kind of fruit in your life as a disciple? If not, that's okay. Well, let's talk about it. You and me, let's grab a cup of coffee and I'd love to hear where your story is at. And if you do, Keep going. Keep throwing yourself into the life of righteousness. Think of it this way. When you show up to class, when you engage with the material, when you put a good faith effort in, when you go to office hours, your professor is going to be kindly disposed to you, right? 
That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. He says, hey, when you, put, when you show up to following Jesus, Jesus is disposed to love and light. Not, not, it's not going to earn his love. He, are, we are, he has his lo- our love freely. But he says, hey, I will, I will make overflowing with contentment when you follow me. Zooming out, these passages show us that Jesus is on the side of his humble followers. Jesus is on the side of his humble followers. And if there's one thing you hear when I, walking away from tonight, is that Jesus blesses his humble followers. When you and I seek to follow Jesus in our, in our lives, even to the bitter end, Jesus is with us. He's disposed favorably towards us in compassion, love, and mercy. So he, he loves his humble followers. And so the next question I, I know I ask myself, and I know many of you are asking, and then why doesn't my Christian life feel this way? I try to follow Jesus, and I'm still mourning. I still am feeling, I still don't feel comforted. I definitely haven't inherited the earth. I'm not satisfied. What's the timeline? (laughs) What's the timeline on this, Jesus? If this is what you're saying, I'm still trying to pursue Jesus. And you know what? It's not going so well a lot of days. And and this is where we come up and rub up against one of the major source of, of theological error, especially in southern New Mexico, right? In southern New Mexico, there's this thing called the prosperity gospel. Some of you are more aware of this than others of you. And the prosperity gospel says that God will bless those who have the most faith. If you have the right or sufficient or if you reach level X of faith, then God will bless you. He will bless you if you have enough faith first and most for, you know, mostly it's in the form of wealth. If you have enough well, faith, then God will make you rich. If you have enough faith, then God will make you healthy or will heal your family. If you do your part, the prosperity gospel says, then God will do his. And so here, the prosperity gospel says that, uh, that, that, that we have to basically trust God to earn God's favor. And that, y'all, I'm here tonight to say that that is a deep and pernicious lie in the Bible. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that your, your blessedness before Jesus does not depend on whether or not you have had faith, have followed Jesus enough. Your blessedness before God is just trusting in who Jesus is. That's how we are blessed. Your blessedness depends on Jesus' righteousness, not on how well you have done. That is not what the Beatitudes here say. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you trust me, if you're my disciple, you won't mourn. If you trust me, you won't be persecuted. No. What do the Beatitudes say? He says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are my followers who mourn, for they will be comforted. Things are going to happen in your Christian life that are sad. There are Afghan Christians in Afghanistan right now who will die for their faith in the next month. Jesus is not promising that our Christian lives will be easy. But he is saying that he holds them in his hands. And he won't let them die forever. Jesus is promising blessing in the morning. Jesus is blessing blessing in in the poverty, in the persecution, through it. What does Psalm 23 say? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Jesus shepherds us in the dark valley. He doesn't say, hey, I'm never going to let bad things happen to you. But I'm with you in and through them. That's what the blessedness of the Christian life is. The prosperity gospel twists Jesus' words by saying that we can earn Jesus' blessing so that we never suffer. No, the Christian life is one of suffering. It's one where Christian, being a Christian is hard. It's a challenging thing to be a disciple of Jesus. 
The, the prosperity gospel sets you and me up for a life of disappointment in your faith because you think, I'm just not good enough. And disappointment in God because you say, well, God hasn't delivered. The Beatitudes set us up for a life of in the midst of triumph, I mean, in the midst of trials, saying, Jesus is holding me. He's present with me. He loves me. So that brings us back to the question of timing. What, what, why is, when is this going to happen? When's this final blessedness going to happen? And the Beatitudes, these blessings from Jesus, yes, they're present now. We feel some comfort now. We do. That's possible. We feel some uh, uh, satisfaction of our desire for righteousness. But they're, full, they're not fully complete. Look at verse 3 and verse 12. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven in verse 3. And verse, sorry, verse, where is it? Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. The final blessedness that you and I long for, it's in heaven. It's when, we're, it's, it's when we finally go and be with Jesus or he comes again. They're not complete. Verse 12 and verse 3 talk about the kingdom of heaven, which is the rule of King Jesus. The time and place where Jesus will finally rule and reign and eradicate all the things that make us poor and mourn and uncomforted. It's the Jesus, like we talked about last week, destroying all wickedness, all brokenness, all sin. The final blessedness that you and I long for is yet to come. The final hope of comfort and of vindication, the peace of heaven... That's what he says, he says, when we see God in verse 8. The prosperity gospel says that God helps those who help themselves. The beatitude says that God helps and will finally completely deliver those who cannot help themselves. Think of these blessings as already, they're already here, and they're not yet fully here. These blessed, the blessedness is, is it's already here, but it's not all already here. They're already pleasant. We do experience some comfort, some peace, mercy, and presence of God. But we long for, we hope for the final blessedness of the life with God. And for some of it, it's just greater than others. But it's not yet. That's, that's what being a disciple of Jesus is. That's why Jesus says the way is narrow. It's tough to be a Christian. I'm not going to tell you it's not. But it says it's good. There is peace, there is blessedness in following Jesus. So these Beatitudes, they tell us, they show us that Jesus helps those who cannot help themselves. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're like, man, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I cannot do this anymore. Jesus says, blessed are those of my followers who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the good news of Christianity. That's the heart of the king, that when you are a follower of Jesus, you're not hung out to dry on your own. When you're a disciple, Jesus holds you in his good hands and says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm with you through this all, and I will deliver you. I say this all the time in RUF. If this is true, if Christianity is really true, it means the bad things in your life cannot last. The good things can't be taken away, and the best is yet to come. That's the claim of Christianity. That's the claim of blessedness in the God of the Bible. That's, the, that's Jesus' heart towards you when you are his disciple. The bad things cannot last, the good things can't be taken away, and the best is yet to come. Why wouldn't you be a disciple of that? That's what the Beatitudes pro promise us. That's the heart of the king. Let me pray for us. Jesus, um, 
this is a hard idea of, of, of following you. It is confusing. It's challenging. And I pray that you would be with us, that you would equip us, that pray for those of us who are mourning, that you would comfort us now with your comfort, with those of us who are poor in spirit, that you would give us a small piece of your kingdom now, but for all of us, that we would long and trust and hope for your final deliverance, your final blessedness in the kingdom. Until then, help us to be faithful followers, and we'll give you the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.